All right, everybody, welcome back. In this episode, we're going to take 2 Kings chapter 20, where God is going to extend Hezekiah's life. And we'll just jump into the first verse, talking about Isaiah's announcement to Hezekiah. In those days, Hezekiah was sick and near death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz, went to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. So this happened at the time of the Assyrian invasion of Judah because Jerusalem had not been delivered from the Assyrian threat yet as of 2 Kings chapter 20 verse 6. The events of this chapter are also recorded in Isaiah chapter 38. So interpreters will agree that the events described in chapters 38 and 39 preceded the invasion of 701 BC. Many date these events in 703 BC, but the evidence more strongly suggests a date of about 712 BC. Right, that's from Wolf commentary on Isaiah. So we're not told how Hezekiah became sick, right? Uh, it might have been through something obvious to all, or it might have been through something known only to God. However, Hezekiah became sick regardless, and it was certainly permitted by the Lord. So God was remarkably kind to Hezekiah, telling him that his death was near. Not all people are given the time to set your house in order. And we know from comparing 2 Kings chapter 18 verse 2 to uh, 2 Kings chapter 20 verse 6 that Hezekiah was 39 years old when he learned that he would soon die. So such threatenings, though absolutely expressed, have oftentimes secret conditions, which God reserves in his own breast. So, let's look at this. God added uh, 15 years to Hezekiah's life in response to his petition for mercy. In chapter 20, verse 6, Hezekiah died in 686 B.C., which replaced this incident in 701 B.C., the year of Sennacherib's invasion. And you can see Isaiah chapter 38. Hezekiah's serious illness with some kind of boil in verse 7 may or may not have been directly connected with the invasion by Sennacherib. God sent Isaiah to announce to Hezekiah that he would die. The prophet instructed him to prepare for this by setting his house affairs in order. And the sentence of death rests upon each one of us. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27. So if we knew the date in advance, would it change the way we are currently living? Alright, verses 2 and 3, Hezekiah's prayer. So then he turned his face toward the wall, and he prayed to the Lord, saying, Remember now, O Lord, I pray, how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart, and have done what was good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. So this shows how earnest Hezekiah was in his prayer. He directed his prayer in privacy to God and not to any man. Turning his face to the wall, uh, thereby both dismissing Isaiah and entering into solitary confinement with God, Hezekiah poured out his heart to the Lord. And to our ears, Hezekiah's prayer might also uh, almost sound ungodly. In it, his focus is on self-justification and his own merits. It is pretty much as if Hezekiah prayed, Lord, I've been such a good boy and you aren't being fair to me. Remember what a good boy I've been and rescue me. But under the Old Covenant, this was a valid principle on which to approach God. Passages like Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28 will show us that under the Old Covenant, blessing and cursing was sent by God on the basis of obedience or disobedience. On that principle, David could write Psalm 15, Lord, 
who may abide in your tabernacle, who may dwell in your holy hill, he who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. Psalm 15 verses 1 through 2. But under the new covenant, we are blessed on the principle of faith in Jesus. In Galatians chapter 3 verses 13 and 14, Hezekiah's principle of prayer isn't fitting for a Christian today. And we pray in the name of Jesus. In John chapter 16 verse 23 and 24, not in the name of who we are or what we have done. We come across similar pleas again and again in the prayers of God's children of old. The Psalms abound with them, but we do not find them in the New Testament. The church bases its pleas on Christ's righteousness, not our own. Right? We rest on Christ's righteousness. His. He is faithful and just to forgive us for our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. 1 John 1 9. Hezekiah lived under the old covenant, and at that time there was not a confident assurance of the glory in the life beyond. Instead, Jesus brought life and immortality, um, came to light through the gospel in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10. And also under the old covenant, Hezekiah would have regarded this as evidence that God was very displeased with him. So why should a saint be fond of life or afraid of death, since to him it is as is his father's horse to carry him to his father's house, right? So Hezekiah responded to this bad news by praying earnestly to the Lord. The king reminded God of his faithfulness to him, his wholehearted devotion, and his good behavior as God's vice regent. And compare Hezekiah's testimony in Isaiah 38, verses 10 through 20. Hezekiah wanted time to establish his moral reforms more firmly among the people. All right, verses 4 through 7, Isaiah brings God's answer to Hezekiah's prayer. And it happened before Isaiah had gone out to the middle court that the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Return and tell Hezekiah the leader of my people. Thus says the Lord, the God of David your father, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears, and surely I will heal you. On the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord, and I will add to your days fifteen years. And I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. Then Isaiah said, Take a lump of figs. So they took and laid it on the boil, and he recovered. In response to Hezekiah's prayer, God granted Hezekiah fifteen years more. So Hezekiah was granted uh, granted an addition, additional fifteen years, right? So since he died in 686 BC, this promise can be dated from about the the time of the siege of Jerusalem. His recovery was also symbolic of the recovery of Jerusalem. And because Hezekiah recovered was God's word, you shall die and not live, in 2 Kings chapter 20 verse 1 proved false. No. First, Hezekiah did in fact die, just not as soon as God first announced. Second, when God announced judgment, it is always an invitation to repent and to receive mercy. Right? So Hezekiah, though but a little prince, suddenly found himself a wealthy man, having moreover one thing in his treasury which could not have been discovered among the riches of any other living man, namely, a writ from the court of heaven, that he should live fifteen years. This great prosperity was a great temptation, far more difficult to endure than Rabshakeh's letter, and all the ills which invasion brought upon the land. So Hezekiah's prayer was important by all indications. If Hezekiah had not made his passionate prayer, then his life wouldn't have been extended. 
And this is another demonstration of the principle that prayer actually matters. In fact, God gave two gifts to Hezekiah. First, he gave the gift of an extended life, and second, he gave the gift of knowing he had 15 years left. If he were wise, this would still give King Hezekiah the motivation to walk right with God and to set his house in order. So this promise was in accord with the Lord's previous prophecies of deliverance and dates this chapter as being before God destroyed the Assyrian army. Right in Isaiah chapter 37, verses 36 and 37. So the connection of the two promises will indicate that one would confirm the other. When Hezekiah recovered his health, he could know that God would also deliver him from the Assyrians. All right, and take a lump of figs. Apparently, God used this medical treatment to bring Hezekiah's healing. And God can and often does bring healing through medical treatments. And apart from an unusual direction from God, medical treatment should never be rejected in the name of faith. Interesting. Uh, Hezekiah had belay, uh, he behaved like a true son of David in the way that he reacted to God's first message. Hezekiah's prayer, what he said, and his tears, how he felt about what he said, moved God to heal him. And from Isaiah chapter 38, verses 17 and 18, it appears that there was some reason why Hezekiah should be uh, chastised or chastened, right? Most probably because of the shameful lack of faith under Sennacherib's first invasion when Hezekiah made allies of the Arabs. And at this point, he was not a notable example of one who trusted and obeyed God. Isaiah announced that in three days, the king would be well enough to worship God in the temple. And God promised to add 15 years to Hezekiah's life from 701 to 786 BC. And the Lord also pronounced to deliver Hezekiah and Jerusalem from Sennacherib's siege and to defend Jerusalem for his own sake and for David's sake. Chapter 19 at verse 34. So Isaiah then gave Hezekiah a treatment for his illness. He gave the poultice of figs, was well known in the ancient world as a means of helping to heal boils and ulcers, but Hezekiah's physicians had not prescribed it. All right, verses 8 through 11, God signed to Hezekiah the retreating shadow. And Hezekiah said to Isaiah, What is the sign that the Lord will heal me, that I shall go up to the house of the Lord the third day? Then Isaiah said, This is a sign to you from the Lord, that the Lord will do the thing which he has spoken. Shall the shadow go forward ten degrees or go backward ten degrees? And Hezekiah answered, It is an easy thing for the shadow to go down ten degrees. No, but let the shadow go backward ten degrees. So Isaiah the prophet cried out to the Lord, and he brought the shadow ten degrees backward, by which it had gone down on the sundial of Ahaz. So Hezekiah wanted a sign, which is frequent in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant, and a sign that would allow him to go up to the house of the Lord. This is because he could not and would not go up to the house of the Lord until he was healed. So the two were connected. And Hezekiah quite properly asked for a sign to assure himself of his recovery. His hypocritical father, in mock modesty, refused to ask for a sign. So God showed even more mercy to Hezekiah. God was under no obligation to give this sign. In fact, God would have been uh, just—he would have been justified in saying, "I said it, and you believe it, right? How dare you not take my word for it being true?" But in real love, God gave Hezekiah more than he needed or deserved. And God shows the same mercy to us as well. It should be enough for God to simply say to us, I love you. But God did so much to demonstrate his love to us in John chapter 3, verse 16 and Romans chapter 5, verse 8. 
So God promised to do something completely miraculous for the confirming sign, and he promised to make the shadow on the sundial move backward instead of forward. And this is a wonderfully appropriate sign for Hezekiah. By bringing the shadow of the sundial uh, to move backward, it gave more time in a day, just as God gave Hezekiah more time to live. And it was a miracle, whatever way we take it, and God could have reversed the revolution of the earth had he seen fit to do so, for he is a... uh, poor clockmaker, even who cannot turn the hands of his own workmanship backward, or he could have caused the phenomenon by an ordinary law of refraction. Either way, it happened. Certainly, there is no need to postulate any reversal of the earth's rotation or receding of the sun. The fact that the miracle was felt only in the land, in Judah, Second uh, Chronicles chapter 32, verse 31, makes such solutions most dubious. So no matter how the miracle happened, Second Chronicles 32, verses 24 through 26, will tell us that Hezekiah did not respond lightly to this gift of healing. In those days, Hezekiah was sick and near death, and he prayed to the Lord, and he spoke to him and gave him a sign. But Hezekiah did not repay according to the favor shown him, for his heart was lifted up. Therefore, wrath was looming over him and over Judah and Jerusalem. Then Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord did not come upon them in the days of Hezekiah. Interesting passage. So, for the natural sequence of events, you read the verses in this order, 6, 8, 11, and 7. Right? Hezekiah desired an external or a second witness to relieve his anxiety and strengthen his faith. And God didn't object to such a request that the sign was requested to strengthen the faith of the person seeking it. Signs were miracles that signified that what God had said he would indeed do. Perhaps the imminent danger that Hezekiah faced from Sennacherib led him to ask for the sign. So God let the king choose whether the shadow would go forward as it normally would or backward. And Ahaz's stairway, verse 11, was evidently a stairway King Ahaz had built. And it might have been constructed as a sundial to measure the time of day, or it might have simply been a regular staircase used by God on this occasion to provide the sign Hezekiah had requested. So, it is not necessary to insist that God reverse the rotation of the earth to effect this miracle. Some similar miracles were evidently limited in their scope, being local rather than universal. And you can see Exodus chapter 10, verses 21 through 23, Joshua chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. Some may have heard of the urban legend of a missing day in the universe, 23 hours, 20 minutes, accounted for by Joshua chapter 10, and the remainder here. Uh, That's nonsense, no uh, substantiation to my knowledge. This following incident evidently took place shortly after Hezekiah recovered from his illness in Isaiah 39 verses 1 through 2. Right? I just want you to be aware that there are uh watch out for those urban legends out there, right? It's nonsense. <clears throat> Got to make you aware of the things to avoid. All right, verses 12 and 13, Hezekiah bears the riches of his kingdom out of pride. And at that time, uh Baradak Baladin or Baladan the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he heard that Hezekiah had been sick, and Hezekiah was attentive to them, and showed them all the house of his treasures, the silver and the gold and the spices and the precious ointment and all of his armory and all that was found among his treasures. And there was nothing in his house or in all his dominion that Hezekiah didn't show them. Right? It was like a big show and tell. He just showed him everything that he had. So this was after the miraculous recovery of Hezekiah. The Lord was good enough to give Hezekiah 15 years more 
more of life, but it was up to Hezekiah if those years would be lived in wisdom and to the glory of God. And apparently, uh, the king of Babylon sent letters and a present. This was a gesture of kindness from the king of Babylon, showing concern to Hezekiah as fellow royalty. So the son, which was their god, had honored Hezekiah. Therefore, they were sent to honor him to... Um, they were going to honor him, too, with a visit and a present. And sending letters and a gift by envoys was a normal Babylonian diplomatic procedure. In uh, Baradak Baladan, uh, his presence shows that this was more than a courtesy call. And this was an attempt to bring the kingdom of Judah on the side of the Babylonians against the Assyrians. And according to Josephus in Antiquities to the Jews, the purpose of the visit was to secure Hezekiah as an ally against the anti-Assyrian coalition. And the real reason of the visit was political. Babylon desired to throw off the yoke of Assyria. And what nation was more likely to help them than the one at the hands of which Assyria had been so completely defeated? So Babylon sought alliance with Judah against Assyria. And we can imagine that this was flattering for King Hezekiah. After all, Judah was a lowly nation with very little power, and Babylon was a junior superpower at this point. To receive this notice and recognition from the king of Babylon must have really made Hezekiah feel that he was important. And, of course, he showed him the house of his treasures, and we can imagine that Hezekiah wanting to please these envoys from Babylon and show them the that they had a good reason to be impressed with him and his kingdom, so he did everything he could to impress them, and he showed them the very best riches of the royal household, and he showed them everything, right? There was nothing in his house or all his dominion that Hezekiah did not show them. So as the coming rebuke from Isaiah will demonstrate, this was nothing but profound foolishness on Hezekiah's part. He was in a dangerous place of wanting to please and impress man, especially ungodly men. And it was not spiritual pride, as was his great-grandfather Isaiah, but it was worldly pride, the pride of life. We might say it was his precious things, his armor, his treasuries, his house, his dominion, that he showed the ambassadors from Babylon. Right, so Hezekiah faced and failed under a temptation common to very many people, especially those in ministry today, the temptation of success. And many men who stand strong against the temptations of failure and weakness fail under the temptations of success and strength. And think about the extent of Hezekiah's success. He was godly. He was victorious. He was healed. He had experienced a miracle. He had been promised a long life. He had a connection with a great prophet. He's seen a remarkable sign. He was wealthy. He was famous. He was praised and honored. And he was honored by God. Right? Nevertheless, he sinned greatly after this great gift of 15 more years of life and deliverance of Jerusalem. We might say that Hezekiah sinned in, the very, uh, in at least five different ways. Pride, in that he was proud of the honors the Babylonians brought. Ingratitude, in that he took honor to himself that really belonged to God. Abusing the gifts given to him, where he took the gifts and favors of his own honor and gratification of his lust. In Second Chronicles chapter 32, verse 25 and 26. Carnal confidence, in that he trusted in the league he made with the king of Babylon. The missing opportunity, in that he had a great opportunity to testify to the Babylonian envoys about the greatness of God and Lord's blessing on Judah. Instead, he decided to glorify himself. So why did he not show these uh, learned heathen God's house, right? Every wit of which showed his glory in Psalm 29, verse 9. So there he could have explained to them the meaning of the brazen altar, the sacrifices offered thereon, and who can tell what the results might not have been in the souls of these idolaters, right? It could have been a good example, but he decided not to be. 
What do you do with your success? So Merodach Baladan, Marduk uh, a Paladin, was twice king of Babylon from 722 to 710 BC and 703 to 702 BC. He was dethroned the first time by Sargon about 710 BC, but he later regained the throne. The second time he was defeated and dethroned by Sennacherib along with his ally Elam in his first campaign, 703 BC. So Merodach sought to make an ally of Hezekiah and he courted Hezekiah's favor by sending a gift when he heard that Hezekiah had become sick. And Merodach Baladan also wanted to ask about the miracle that had occurred in the land in 2 Chronicles 32 verse 31. So Hezekiah had not yet forsaken his practice of making alliances and he was yet to do so before the second invasion and thus to be a true man of faith. So Hezekiah showed his Babylonian visitors the full extent of his wealth and armaments partly because he concluded his ally should know how much Judah would be able to contribute to their joint anti-Assyrian effort. All right, verses 14 through 18, Isaiah brings a rebuke from God to Hezekiah. Then Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and said to him, What did these men say, and from where did they come to you? So Hezekiah said they came from a far country from Babylon. And he said, What have they seen in your house? So so Hezekiah answered, Well, they've seen all that's in my house, and there is nothing among my treasures that I haven't shown them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and all that is uh, all what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon, nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And they shall take away some of your sons who will descend from you, whom you will beget, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. So Isaiah probably already knew the answer to these questions, and it was likely that his questions were guided by God to allow Hezekiah the opportunity to answer honestly, which he did, and to see the error himself, which he apparently did not. And there is favor that Hezekiah was proud to tell Isaiah this. He was like a small town boy who was uh, in awe by the attention of a big city man. Right, Isaiah, you should have just seen how impressed those Babylonians were by everything that I've got. They really know that we are something here in Judah. And Hezekiah's pride and inflated ego seemed to really make him blind. And Hezekiah thought that this display of wealth would impress the Babylonians. And all it did was show them what the kings of Judah had and what they could get away from them. And um, one day the kings of Babylon were going to come and take it all away. This was fulfilled in 2 Kings chapter 24 verses 10 through 13 and 2 Kings chapter 25 verses 11 through 17 under the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar. Big character. And this was proudly and foolishly done, for now gold-thirsty Babylon knew where to have her drought and where to fetch a fat and fit booty, right? They knew where the treasure was. And it would be more than a hundred years before Babylon carried away the royal treasures of Judah, but they did come regardless, just as Isaiah prophesied. The prophecy is so remarkably accurate that many skeptics will insist, without grounds other than unbelief, that a later Isaiah must have written it after the fact. But that would be impossible. So worse than taking the material riches of the kings of Judah, the kings of Babylon would take the sons of the king of Judah, his true riches. One fulfillment of this was the taking of Daniel and his companions into captivity. Daniel was one of the king's descendants taken into the palace of the king of Babylon in Daniel chapter 1 verses 1 through 4. Because of this promise of God made uh, through Isaiah, many think that Daniel and his companions were made eunuchs when they were taken to serve in the palace. 
On the word Unix, perhaps this no more. Uh, this means no more than they should have become household servants to the kings of Babylon. You can see the fulfillment of this in Second Kings 24 verses 13 through 15, and Daniel chapter 1 verses 1 through 3. So Hezekiah made no attempt to hide what he had done from Isaiah, who had been sent by God to inquire about these visitors from Babylon. And the king of Judah likely didn't think uh, that his desire to form an alliance with Babylon was either an expression of lack of confidence in God or a foolish move politically. So some of the royal family who had not yet been born would also be taken captive and been made eunuchs in the palace of Babylon. Eunuchs were often high-ranking officials. Right, verses 19 through 21, Hezekiah's curious reaction and the end of his reign. So Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord which you have spoken is good. For he said, Will there not be peace and truth at least in my days? Now the rest of the acts of Hezekiah and all his might and how he made a pool and a tunnel and brought water into the city, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? So Hezekiah rested with his fathers, then Manasseh his son reigned in his place. So this was a sad state of heart in the king of Judah. God announced coming judgment and all he could respond with was relief that it would not happen in his lifetime. And so in this, Hezekiah showed himself to be the most, uh, almost the exact opposite of an other-centered person. He was almost totally self-centered, and all he cared about was his own personal comfort and success, right? Everything's going to be good while I'm around, but after I'm not around, then that's, your, that's, your, uh, that's for you to deal with. And this was an amazing engineering feat. He built an aqueduct to, uh, you know, he made this pool and tunnel and he brought water into the city. He made this aqueduct to ensure fresh water inside the city walls, even during sieges. And it was more than 650 yards long through solid rock. It began on each end and meeting in the middle. And it can still be seen today and it empties into the pool of Siloam. This tunnel was found in 1880, was cut for 643 meters to cover a direct distance of 332 meters to enable the defenders to fetch water within the protective walls even during a siege. And an inscription in cursive Hebrew on the early 8th century BC details the work. When the tunnel was driven through while the quarrymen were swinging their axes, each man towards the other and while there were still three cubits to be cut th through, and uh, there was heard the voice of a man calling to his fellow, for there was a crevice on the right, and when the tunnel was finally driven through, the quarrymen hewed each toward the others, axe against axe, and then the waters flowed from the spring to the, full, to the pool for 1,200 cubits, and the height of the rock above the heads of the quarrymen was 100 cubits. Alright, so there's no doubt that Hezekiah started out as a godly king, and overall his reign was one of the uh, one of outstanding godliness in Second Kings chapter 18, verses 3 through 7. Yet his beginning was much better than his end, as often is the case. Hezekiah did not finish well, and God gave Hezekiah the gift of 15 more years of life. But he added the added years did not make him a better or more godly man. And time or age doesn't necessarily make us any better. Consider that time does nothing but pass away. And we sometimes say, well, time will tell, or time will heal, or time will bring out the potential in me. But time will do nothing of the sort. Time will only come and go. It is how we use time that matters. Hezekiah didn't make good of the extra time the Lord gave him. And Hezekiah was buried on the sloping hill where the tombs of David's descendants were cut in 2 Chronicles 32, verse 33. And this was because of the Royal Iron Age burial caves north of the city were full by this time. And hereafter, no Judean king was buried in the rock-hewn caves there. 
So Hezekiah ultimately repented of his pride in Second Chronicles 32, verse 26. He humbly accepted the fact that God's judgment would come out to the nation, and he was grateful for the peace and security Judah would enjoy by God's mercy in his own lifetime. And so the building of the tunnel from the Gihon Spring to the, the Pool of Siloam was singled out by the writer as one of Hezekiah's more important achievements in 2 Chronicles 32, verse 30. Hezekiah had this 1,777-foot tunnel dug from the oldest source of water just outside the wall of Jerusalem under the wall to a reservoir inside the city. He then covered up the spring so the Assyrian invaders would not discover it, and he cut off Jerusalem's water supply. This tunnel, dug from both ends to the middle, was a remarkable engineering feat which can still be seen today. Years before Hezekiah died, he made his son Manasseh vice-regent in 697 B.C. The father and son ruled together until Hezekiah died in 686 B.C. Then Manasseh succeeded Hezekiah and ruled as sole king, the worst in the line of Judah. And though Manasseh reigned longer than any other king of Judah or Israel, the record of his reign is brief. And maybe Hezekiah should have died when the time came for him to die. Three things took place after God extended his life that were foolish acts. One, he showed his treasures to, uh, treasures to Babylon, which was going to cause great trouble in the future. He begot a son, Manasseh, who was the most wicked of any king. And he revealed an arrogance, almost an impudence, in his later years. And his heart became filled with pride. And Second Chronicles 32, verse 25 states, But Hezekiah rendered not again according to the benefit done unto him. For his heart was lifted up, therefore there was wrath upon him and upon Judah and Jerusalem. So while he ultimately repented of this pride in First Chronicles 32, verse 26, it might have been better if Hezekiah had died at God's appointed time altogether. All right, that ties up chapter 20. In the next chapter, we will talk about the wicked reign of Manasseh and Ammon. Thank you for joining me.